Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Okay, so Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40, and thank you to Colt for preaching last week. We're back in the book of Acts. We're going to see in this text that Philip is modeling evangelism with an Ethiopian man, an official, a eunuch, and I'll be explaining what that involves. What's interesting about this text is that we've been seeing, really up to now, mass evangelism. We've been seeing from chapters 1 through 8, 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2 come to the faith. And then in Acts chapter 4, we saw another 5,000 come to the Lord. Then in chapter 6, we saw the disciples increasing greatly and a number of priests coming in mass into faith in Christ. And then we have Philip in 8, 6, proclaiming Messiah to the crowds. And so what we're going to see here for the next several little moments is individual evangelism. And so this morning, I want us to think about this is immensely practical. This is the inspired word of God that's useful for training us in righteousness and for all good works, including evangelism. So this isn't just a cool story about the gospel reaching into Africa through this Ethiopian person, but this is actually incredibly practical on how we share the gospel with individual people. So we're gonna see that this morning. And what we're seeing in the book of Acts is just like we're looking at today, the methods may change, but the message always remains the same, isn't it? It's true in evangelism. The methods, the approaches, may change, may shift, may adapt depending on the context, but the message always remains the same. And church, what's the message? The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and faith in that. We're gonna be looking at that. So there's changelessness to the gospel message. And the key is to discern who God is touching, what God is doing, and then throw ourselves into that situation. So this morning, we're going to see three steps in this process. Philip interacting with the Ethiopian eunuch, this royal official. We're going to see three different steps in the process of evangelism. So I'm going to read Acts 8, 26 through 40, and then we'll look at some of these steps in early church evangelism. Acts 8, 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, 
go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you were reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Friends, this is the word of God. So we're seeing Philip modeling evangelism. It's quite a story, isn't it? Some of us are familiar with it. Some of us is brand new, but there's some interesting things that we're going to look at here. We're going to peel some of the layers back and look at some of the details on this early church example of evangelism. Look at verse 26. It starts with Philip receiving direction and acknowledging that there's some preparation that goes into this evangelistic moment. Philip, there at verse 26, is receiving direction from an angel of the Lord. And then later, we're going to see at verse 29, it's the Spirit of the Lord guiding him. And friends, this does not necessarily make a whole lot of sense for the modern mind. People are like angels and the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. And so should we expect angelic ministry in our lives in 2022? You answer that question. What do you think? It's in the word of God. Can we wrap our minds around it? It doesn't say here. How did an angel speak to him? We don't know. The text doesn't say, but we certainly want angelic involvement in what we're doing. Our ministry, our evangelism, our mission. And so we do. We say, Lord, we are open for you to guide us and direct us. We follow you, King Jesus, the Lord of all angels, but we certainly are open to your messenger speaking to us, perhaps nudging us, perhaps speaking to us through a dream, a vision. The scriptures speak time and time again about the angels of God ministering to the saints and through them. We saw back in 519, Acts 519, do you remember who it was that opened the prison doors for Peter and John. It was an angel of the Lord, an angel who obeys the Lord's will. 
So the point of this is divine guidance. So in our evangelism, are we seeking divine guidance? We don't just rush into something in our own strength. We definitely obey, but we say, Lord, would you, would you give us direction? I was listening to a podcast with Steve Nicholson this week, and hopefully you listened to it. It went out. Claire sent that through the All Church email. And Steve made the point that a big part of evangelism is discerning where God is moving. Who is God already touching? Who is God preparing for the seed of the gospel? And that's precisely what's happening here. Philip, probably in prayer, is saying, Lord, would you guide my steps? Would you put me in contact with the people that you're preparing to bring in to your kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit? Look at the rest of that verse. The angel tells Philip to head south to a road that goes south from Jerusalem to an area called Gaza, a wilderness road. I've got a map here. I've got a few images. And if you can find the map that shows these four arrows... We've seen Philip above that center arrow in Samaria. Remember, he went into that territory where a lot of Jews and early Christians didn't want to go, and the Lord sent Philip into that area, and then he makes his way down. And so here at the second arrow there, he's about to move into this wilderness area. Now, friends, there's some humor here. The Lord speaks through an angel and tells him to go out into a deserted area. Can you imagine what he's thinking? He's just experienced revival up in Samaria, signs and wonders, towns encountering the powerful message of the kingdom of God. And now the Lord says in the quiet place, hey, why don't you go out and walk along this lonely road? What's Philip's response? Yes, sir. I'm going to go where you lead me. Many of you have experienced this at times. The Lord may direct you to somewhere, and you find yourself saying, I, I feel led to go to this place. Maybe the Lord has something for me to do here. And you find yourself in the Walmart parking lot or at the grocery store or somewhere on campus, and the Lord is setting up a divine appointment. Friends, we want to be like Philip, people who follow the Spirit of God. Do you want that? I certainly do, and at times it can seem rather odd where the Lord might lead you. And again, he's never going to lead you into a situation or a place that would contradict the wisdom of Scripture, but let's be open. Let's be open. You may already be about your day working and praying John 5, 19, Father, what are you doing here? What are you doing at the store? What are you doing at this restaurant? Who might I share the gospel with? Who might I pray for? Who might I encourage with a word? So Philip is obeying. Look at verse 27. He got up and went. And then he encounters this Ethiopian person, this Ethiopian eunuch. He's an official who served in the royal court of the queen of Ethiopia. And the name that looks like Candace, it's actually Kandaki or Candace. If you look at the text here, it says the Kandaki. Do you see it there? 
So it's not a proper name. Her name is not Candace. It's actually a title of an official. Much like Pharaoh or Caesar, this woman was the sitting queen in Ethiopia, there in North Africa. So this dude is high, he's a high official. So he's out on this journey, and we're going to see in a minute, it's a five-month journey each way that this gentleman is on. But the point here is that God is setting him up and setting up Philip for a power encounter. The Lord's at work, even on desert, lonely roads with someone like this. The Lord is orchestrating this and preparing it providentially because that's how God works. There's no mistakes with him. He is regularly orchestrating this. This eunuch is from a large kingdom and there's some overlap with modern day Ethiopia as the kings know, because they lived in Ethiopia, but it was an ancient kingdom called Cush. So I've got another slide up there that you can see with the big red star there off of the Red Sea, right there in the fertile area of the Nile Delta. And you can see Jerusalem that on the upper right there, the other star, it's quite a journey. Again, five months to get to Jerusalem and five months back on a very simple rudimentary carriage, right? This isn't a nice Tesla that this guy is riding in. This is, and it's not really a chariot like you see in Ben-Hur or something like that. It's a probably rather open air platform that he's riding on with simple seating and he's got a servant with him leading probably two or three horses or donkeys along journey and God has set it up. Now, this is a strange word, isn't it? At verse 27, he's a eunuch. What in the world is that? He's a eunuch and he's probably a convert to the Jewish faith. Somehow the message of the Torah and the prophets have made their way all the way into North Africa where he's from and so he's on his way he's a God-fearer but he's about to encounter the promised Messiah through Philip he's a eunuch and without going into too much detail on this he's actually castrated for the purpose of serving in the royal household why Again, this is the ancient world. This was not an uncommon thing in the ancient Near East. It was to prevent people from being tempted to engage with sexual activity with others in the palace. It's a rather practical thing to keep them from plotting to overthrow the queen or the king. And so it's a rather strange thing, but it's a detail about this man. And he was in charge of the queen's entire treasury. This dude ran the central bank of his area. He was a very powerful, influential person that the queen trusted. And the Lord was choosing him to take the gospel back to the empire of Cush. Look at what he's reading here. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he's learning more about the coming Messiah. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and he's on his way back. He's reading a scroll and it's 
probably, because we know this from other archaeological digs, it's probably about eight inches tall, and it's up to 16 feet long. So this gentleman is in his vehicle, and he's reading this, and he's reading aloud, because that's what they did in the ancient world. They would read a text aloud so that they could understand it and memorize it, and look at verse 29. We see the second thing that Philip does as he engages this Ethiopian eunuch. Look at verse 29. The spirit says to Philip. So it's been the angel who speaks to Philip, and now it's the spirit of the Lord. So I think, again, we see divine direction. Guidance from an angel, and now guidance from the third person of the Holy Trinity, the spirit of God himself. He says to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it at verse 29. Again, this is rather interesting. Look at verse 13. How does Philip respond? What's the verb there? He runs. Friends, he's running in obedience. He's not just saying, okay, well, another interesting thing that you're asking me to do. I think I'll drag my feet into it. I'll do this. He actually runs up to the chariot that's moving. He hears him reading, and he engages him as the Lord has instructed him. He steps into this God-ordained moment, and he asks him a question. Again, something here, early church model of evangelism. He asks the person a question. He honors the person with a question. He doesn't tell them how it is. He says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He's using a little bit of the Socratic method. Socrates was a philosopher that went around and asked questions all the time. And so Philip is asking a question here, opening the door to further conversation. What's the eunuch's response here? The official He says, how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? Wink, wink, will you guide me into what I'm reading here? So he invites Philip to get into the chariot and sit beside him. I'm visual, so I like to picture things, and I've got another image up here, some art that shows someone's rendition of the Ethiopian man on the right, again dressed in a very regal manner with gold, and a cheetah fur, and you can see in front of him his servant and a horse or two or three, and Philip there pointing to the scroll, and so they're having a discussion around the word of God. It's a beautiful moment here. Look at it. You've got a Jew, a Jewish Christian, and you've got an Ethiopian, and the Jewish Christian actually has a Hellenistic or Greek background, That's the meeting of the nations right there. Early on in the first century, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, you can see right there the gospel is about to go into Africa through this man. There's no accidents. The Lord arranged this moment. And look at what's at the center of that image there and what's at the center of the text. What is it? It's the word of God. So the text is showing us a power encounter of the word of God. And really all he does is read it 
and engage in conversation with Philip and the power of the word of God goes to work in him and Africa is changed forever. So we've seen the power of signs and wonders, right? We've seen it multiple times, even through Philip earlier in chapter eight, the power of signs and wonders that confirm the word of God. And now we're seeing a power encounter of the word alone. We're not aware of a sign, a wonder, a miracle, besides the conversion of this man's heart. But the text is saying, behold the power of the word of the Lord. And we heard from Acts 1.8 that the word was going into all the world. That it would start in Jerusalem, would move into Judea and Samaria, and now it's going to the far reaches of the earth, which the ancient empire of Cush, Ethiopia, was known as the ends of the earth. What a beautiful picture here, right? Sets the course for Christian history. Sets the course for what we see in Revelation 7, 9. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, Jews, Samaritans, Africans, Gentiles, all the nations sitting in fellowship together before the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's our heritage right there. And so it's something that we value and believe that the Lord wants to work out here in ways. The Lord wants to take us, wants to take some of our children, wants us to go on trips all over the world and take the gospel. It's what the Lord has for us. It's the heritage of this church as well. The Lord's going to take us into new arenas. Are you interested? You interested in doing that, being a part of the word of God running like fire to all the nations. Jesus prophesied it in Matthew 24, 14. He said, the end is coming, but before the end comes, the gospel of the kingdom will go to all nations. And friends, that's what we're about. We give 10% of everything that comes in to world missions, but hopefully in the coming days, we can do a lot more than that. We can give We can give time, money, energy, even send some of our own children to the mission field. So it's a power encounter of the word of God. I mentioned he's reading from Isaiah 53. Look there at verse 32. He's reading from Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. And the Lord has arranged that providentially for him to be in that text at that moment, reading about a lamb who's being led to slaughter, who quietly trusts God, is not defending himself, and he suffers an unjust death in a wicked generation. So you find there in that text, through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, the gospel in a nutshell, the promise to Messiah who would actually give his life for sinful people to draw them back to God so that they could have peace with God through Messiah through Christ. I was thinking this morning, are we ready to share the gospel? Here we have a text, Isaiah 53, right? And you may find yourself in a conversation with someone who's got a scroll open. I'm not sure. They may have their Bible open at some point, but probably not. It's going to be on you to share the gospel. And so I know that there are many different ways to do it, but I just thought we could take a moment here And I have a threefold way that I share the gospel. I know that there's a Romans road. There are all kinds of ways, but it doesn't get more simple than this. 
and I want us to just pause for a moment. You can write this down or shoot a picture of the slide up here, but it's a problem, a solution, and a response. And friends, it's as simple as that. Anyone, anywhere, anytime can understand the gospel. A very young person can understand the gospel. An elderly person on the brink of death can understand the problem that we find ourselves in, the solution that God provides in Christ, and a response. So the problem, Scripture talks about at length, but some of you know Romans 3.23, the problem is our sin. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. And it keeps us from attaining a relationship with God. Keeps us from falling, it causes us to fall short of what God has intended for us. And Isaiah 59.2 says that our sin separates us from the living God, from the holiness of God. And Ephesians 2.3 says that we're actually, before faith in Christ, we're children of wrath, like all humankind when we die in our sin. So there is a problem. And learning how to share this tactfully with someone in 2022 is up to you to figure out. It's up to me to figure out. But the Holy Spirit is there, ready to set up encounters like this where we're sharing the word of God, we're sharing truth, and it goes to work on someone if we're discerning who the Lord is drawing to himself. A second thing here in sharing the gospel in a very simple way is the solution. The problem is our sin, and the solution is Jesus. And the gift of Christ's life and his death and his resurrection. And yes, the cross is at the center of that, but it's the whole person. It's the whole story of Christ. His incarnation saves us. The fact that God became man through the word, Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. One verse that encapsulates a lot of this is Romans 5.8 can write this down, but it says God demonstrates or proves his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And people need to hear this. These are verses to memorize, to have ready. There is a solution that God provides. He loves us, but we're under judgment until we profess faith in Christ. And that brings us to the third thing here, sharing the gospel is a response, and we see it in the text here, but there's an opportunity for the person that you're sharing with to respond, to say, yes, I'm interested. No, I'm not interested. Paul says in Romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So friends, it's as simple as that, but in the communication of this with someone, we want to be careful to convey that this will cost their life. And so we're not sugarcoating anything. We're not making it such, such an easy on-ramp that, yeah, all you do is hear that there's a problem, your sin, there's a solution through faith in Christ, and there's a response, and it's as easy as that, and now you can go on living like a demon like you always have been. No, we want to express in that moment, if you choose to respond, if you choose to confess and believe, it will cost you everything. And you need to hear that from the onset. 
And the church really, unfortunately, the American church doesn't present the gospel that way enough. We want the easy on-ramp. We want the crossless conversion. And friends, I tell you what, people want the meat out there. They don't want an easy on-ramp or a crossless Christianity. They want to be challenged, especially young people. Is that right? They've had their fill of lots of things and easy opportunities. And so what we're saying is this is the most magnificent message on the planet. You get the opportunity to have your sins forgiven, to have a relationship with God, to let him transform you, but it's going to cost you everything. And you're to take up your cross every day and follow Jesus and then go tell other people. And you'll find more fulfillment in this than anything else on the planet. Amen? So looking at a text like this, it's important to see a simple way to present the gospel. And I expect, I know it's happening now, but I expect in the coming days for us to hear about more and more power encounters through the word of God that you're having. I'm believing for it and I've shared with you openly in recent months, I feel a little bit rusty at times because when I was younger, just about every day I would say, okay, Lord, I wanna share my faith. Show me who you're touching and reaching and I would, do, I would commit to that for years. I would go wherever I was in the course of my day and share the love of God or the gospel or pray for someone and life got busy. Anybody else? It's like I've become at times too busy to share the faith with other people and I'm getting back to it. I'm starting to do it now and I've actually told Luke and some others that I want to go and do some street evangelism like I used to. I want to go out and get uncomfortable and work some of that rust out. How about the rest of you? You want to make time in the course of your day but even outside of that to share the most amazing news, the gospel of the kingdom with a world that is dying to hear it. Sometimes we think, no, they're not. They don't want to hear from me. Yeah, they do. If you're praying, Father, lead me to the right person, he's going to show you who that is. And you'll find yourself with responsive people. So back to verse 34, the eunuch, this Ethiopian official is asking Philip at verse 34, about whom is Isaiah speaking in this passage? So again, he's curious. He's familiar with the Jewish faith. He's familiar with the messianic promises. And he's familiar with some of the arguments about who this person might be. But Philip makes it unequivocally clear He says at verse 35, look at this. Then Philip began to speak, answer his question, and what's he do, friends? Look there, look at verse 35. He starts with the scripture, this particular one, and he proclaims to him the good news about Jesus. Now I know it's been several weeks ago, but before we got into Acts, we looked at the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, And Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with a couple of guys. And what did Jesus do as he was walking with them on another desert road, interestingly enough? What did Jesus do with those guys? He opened up the scriptures and explained 
the scriptures about himself. So Philip is doing the same thing here. He's taking the word of God and he's opening it up and he's explaining these are about Jesus. These are about the promised Messiah that they waited for for at least 800 years. It all came to fulfillment and fruition in the person of Jesus. Let me tell you about him. This is who Isaiah was prophesying about. It's a beautiful image here. And then what is his response? This Ethiopian gentleman here at verse 36. Again, I think there's some humor here. Luke is a brilliant writer. I'm sure he appreciates me saying that about him. That's a good dad joke, by the way. It's the word of God. So there is, there's humor built into a narrative like this. And as they're going along, we've seen Philip running the middle of verse 36. The eunuch says, here's some water. We're on a desert road, but there's some water nearby. I am ready to respond. What is to keep me from being baptized at this moment? Friends, he was ready. The Holy Spirit was at work. God had arranged this power encounter through the word of God, and now he's responding to the good news about Jesus through the word. So look at verse 38. The eunuch commands the man that's driving his chariot to stop, and both of them go down to the water, and Philip baptized him. So does this answer what baptism was like for the early church? What do you think there? Does it spell out all of the details that Christians like to argue and fight over around baptism? I don't really see a whole lot of answers. It seems to be a natural pool of water or perhaps a running brook into a pool of water. So they're wading, they're going down into it. Some images, I, th I put one up here that I thought was pretty accurate to the text. You can see there, it's probably waist high. If you go to the Jordan now and even some of the pools of water in desert areas, you'll find that it's often about waist high. And so he may have immersed him he may have poured water over his head. He may have done both. But the point is, we don't debate around it. This dude got baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And he heard the good news about King Jesus. And then if our minds aren't challenged already, look at how the story ends here before we transition to communion. Verse 39 they come up out of the water after this baptism, after he's made confession, had his sin washed away symbolically through the water of baptism. Look at that second line in verse 39. The spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Is that what your Bible says there? Whether you're reading New Revised or NIV or ESV, does yours say the same thing? And the eunuch saw him no more. So our modern rationalist Bible scholars like to say that he left very quickly. There's nothing supernatural here. Move on. He left, and so he kind of left the Ethiopian's head spinning because he just didn't know where he was going. Friends, the same word that's used there for being snatched away, it's a word called harpazo, and it shows up in that rapture passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. 
It means he got snatched away. He went bye-bye <laughs> in that moment. It wasn't that he left abruptly or he walked really fast to a place 30 miles away. He got snatched away. So digest that for a minute. The Lord snatched him away, took him away. Star Trek's got nothing on this. I mean, he got transported. Now, some people, again, were just so wired to doubt and disbelieve, but if the word says it, we're open to it, right? Some of you are saying, well, I'd love to get taken to another place. And Is this a very rare thing and unique? Probably so. And usually where we see things like this is precisely where it's happening in this moment, a pioneering evangelistic opportunity. The gospel's getting ready to go to Africa and change history forever. There's unique dynamics that are at play here, but nonetheless, the Lord chose to take him in his body somewhere else 30 miles away. There are accounts of this. There's a great scholar named Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R, and if you're interested, he's researched church history, and he's found other even modern accounts of this happening. Brother Yoon and the heavenly man has experienced this. So the truth is we want all that the word of God has for us. Why don't we stand? So we're grateful, aren't we, for a a vivid picture like this? the Lord providentially picking this Ethiopian man to hear the gospel, to hear the word of the kingdom, to be baptized, to go back into his home country and share the gospel. And many early church fathers talk about what happened, Irenaeus in particular. One of the early church fathers says that this is the moment Africa changed. This is the moment Ethiopia heard the gospel and it went on to spread and the kingdom and the gospel advanced mightily. So it's a beautiful thing to see. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the conversion of Saul, the persecutor, into Paul, the servant of Christ. It's an amazing story of conversion that builds faith in our hearts. So Lord, we just ask now, as we shift to focusing on your broken body and your blood through communion, Lord, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, not only in your word, but in the table, that we would encounter you and celebrate the love of God the Father, saving us from judgment and wrath through the body and blood of Christ. I'm gonna read, as I do, from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, where the apostle Paul gives directions on the Lord's Supper, and he says this, for I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm gonna ask the elders to come up. And then back at verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.